Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another interview session with Everything Horror Podcast. My name is Stacy Cox, and I am your host this evening. As you are aware, February is a special month as we are celebrating Women in Horror Month. We have a special guest joining us this evening. She is an award-winning writer and editor. She has written and published countless works, including Hunt and Vampire Theater, two novellas I've had the pleasure to read. Nancy Kilpatrick, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Oh, thank you so much, Stacy. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. And Nancy, will you please tell us more about yourself? What city, state, or hometown are you from? What is your career, aside from writing, if you do have another career? And elaborate a bit more on your works. Well, I'm originally from the U.S. I was born in Philadelphia, but I've lived in Canada more of my life than I lived in the U.S. And uh, so I, now I live in Montreal. I've lived in various cities here, but... I've been in Montreal for the last, I guess, gee, 20 years. Who knew? <laughs> uh, Montreal is, uh, as probably as you pro all probably know, is bilingual. Uh, so it's a really nice city to be in. It has a, a lot of uh, European touches to it. And uh, it's a very easygoing city. Really, I like it a lot because it's uh, slower paced, even though it's a very big city. <laughs> it's got a, a, a lovely kind of casualness to it. So here you can still go to a cafe and sit there and have coffee for three hours, one cup of coffee, and no one's asking you to leave or giving you the stink eye or anything. So I like it here. And uh, yeah, so I don't know what else you asked me. <laughs> I got stuck on the first question. What was the second question? <laughs> the second part of it? I can't remember now. Something yeah. about my yeah, do you have another career aside from your writing? Uh, that was it. Yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I do teach occasionally um, a short story writing class on at a school, George Brown College, which is um, up here in Canada. And uh, But, of course, it's international. Anybody can take the course because it's on the Internet. So um, I do that. But aside from that, all I do is write. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, write. Um, yeah, so my work basically is in the horror dark fantasy realm. I've done uh, different types of writing. So I have maybe about 10 mystery stories published um, and I won an award for mystery stories. So it's I'm not just in the horror field, but uh, there's that. I've written um, literary stories, um, one fantasy story, one I guess you'd call it science fiction story. Um, and then most of the rest has been dark fantasy or horror and or horror. It's kind of complicated, those terms now. So, you know, who knows what anything means because everything's trying to be, you know, acceptable <laughs> in this strange world we're in. So, yeah. So that's what I do. Um, and uh, I've edited a lot, too. I've edited 15 anthologies for very small presses and for major presses as well. So, um, yeah, that's me. Thank you so much. And that is also very interesting. Actually, I aspire to get to that level where I could just focus on my works and, you know, my writings and all my projects and everything uh, more for like I'm doing it full time. But I aspire to get to that level to where it is my, you know, my main career. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I, I think it's really hard to get the, to um, that point. Uh, I'm not independently wealthy. That's <laughs> obvious. But, uh, you know, to you as a writer, you have a lot of um, things that you, in a way, you get a lot of benefits from writing, I believe, uh, because you get to do what you want to do, which is really unusual in this world. But at the same time, there are some sacrifices to make, too, because, um, you know, I often say if I had a full-time job at McDonald's, I'd probably be better off. Because, you know, money is really, it comes, it, it is feast or famine. So sometimes you're just uh, flying high and all things are good are happening and you're just selling like a maniac. And then other times, nothing in sight. So it's just the way it is. It's funny business and uh, you keep your head above water. But, you know, I, I'm... I don't have children, and I'm not with anybody at the moment, so I don't have a partner. And I think when you are in a different position where you do have a family to look after um, and you have mortgage payments to make, uh, things like that, yeah, that's that's a difficult road in terms of being self-sustaining as a writer. So I think it really varies from person to person how it goes. Uh, definitely, I understand that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also I figured I'm gonna need this nine to five to fund my projects as well. You know, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when did you first realize writing was your passion? Oh, I don't really know when I first felt like the passion fire firing, but I always have written pretty well. Uh, when I was a kid, my grandfather, um, he doted on me and uh, he, he, we all lived in the same house, my grandparents and me and so on. Uh, so he used to bring me home gifts all the time. Um, he just adored me. And for, for, it's one of those sort of odd relationships because I'm not sure he adored anyone else, <laughs> but he adored me. I was the special one, you know, in his his world, probably because I was a kid. And, you know, adults have their issues and they don't get along and they, you know, they're different relationships than you have with a child. So he used to bring me gifts a lot and um, yeah, often he would bring me a puppy. <laughs> I had many puppies, uh, which I named all of them Penny because that's what children do, right? <laughs> so I had all these puppies, one after the other, um, you know, after they, they lived their life or something happened or whatever. But one time he brought me a typewriter. Now, I don't know where he got these things or how he got them or whatever. He had a, you know, he worked in a factory. And so he basically hung out, I guess, with the guys after work or on weekends and times, you know, and somehow he would come upon these things all the time. So I've got this typewriter and I think I was about seven years old at the time. I'm not sure. I wasn't, I know I wasn't quite eight. So I got this typewriter and uh, I started pecking, <laughs> as you do on keys, when you don't know how to type, you use one finger and you keep pushing keys. But I was seven years old, so I knew how to read. And I knew, you know, I started forming these little tiny child poems, you know, on this typewriter. So that's sort of what I, my first um, connection with actually writing something. And I can also tell you my first real connection with, I suppose you'd call it the love of books was when I was, again, around the same age, I think it was, um, it's hard to quite remember exactly what age, but it was probably around seven. Um, and I, went, I was in school in Philadelphia, 
and our school took a trip to the big library downtown and it was a gorgeous gorgeous old building um not a victorian but a you know sort of revival type building uh but it was huge and it still is huge so it wasn't just a childhood huge it's i've been there since and it's really a big beautiful place marble and lovely woods and so on so back in the day when I was seven, <laughs> we didn't have computers. We had uh, the Dewey Decimal System was riding high on these little cards that they stuck in uh, slots. And so you'd have to pull out this drawer and it had all these cards. So if you wanted to find a particular book, you could look it up by the author or by the title of the book. Um, so I, we, we were learning about this, the, the decimal system and that whole thing that ran the library at the time and wandering around. And then they sort of guided us towards the children's section and uh, I was perusing the shelves in my childhood, and I saw this book, and I pulled it out, and it's called The Little Witch. And that was my first book that I selected on my own, which had a lot of impact on me, uh, <clears throat> because it was a, a story that uh, is kind of a, a little bit close to home. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time, but it turns out years later when I thought about that book, and I thought, oh, I wonder, you know, I don't remember much about anything about the book except the story, the sort of basic storyline. So I looked it up on the internet and discovered that this book had been in print for 40 years. <laughs> and many, many, it was really, really popular. And there's entire websites of people, you know, exclaiming how this book meant so much to them and uh, the accolades for the author, who apparently was a librarian somewhere in New England. And she had written this one book, and I think she'd also written a bit of poetry, and that's it. But this book stayed in uh, in print forever. And then there was some kind of anniversary just a few years ago of, I don't know, whatever, however long that anniversary was. I guess it was the 40 years or something, or 50 years by then. So, yeah. Um, so that was my first real book that I selected that wasn't selected for me or read to me as, a, you know, in my youth or forced to me by the school, you know, forced on me the way they pick out books for you that they think you'll like. This is the one I selected. And so, of course, it had a, a lot of meaning to me. Wow, that's awesome. And actually, I've always wanted a typewriter. Um, and then I like that thought occurred in my head. And it's like, what if I make so many mistakes on a typewriter, because I've never used one. And then I have found this app on, uh, you know, on the Apple, Apple store, the iTunes store. And I think it was called the Tom Hanks typewriter or something like that. So I, <laughs> yeah, I got that app and I tried to type and I'm actually typing like I'm typing on a typewriter. I was like, wait a minute, what am I doing? This is a phone. <laughs> but um, it was so hard. I found it so hard to type on that little screen that I didn't really stick oh, with the app. <laughs> yeah. and I'm I like, usually do things by voice. You know, oh, instead of typing on the on the phone, I usually do voice. I mean, you you make mis you don't make mistakes. The phone makes mistakes, right? You say a word, it types a different word or a different spelling than you're anticipating. But you know, you can correct it. But it's a whole lot easier than trying to type on those tiny keys. Oh yeah, definitely. And I even tried the voice uh, the voice typing myself, but I found that trying the voice it messes up more often than not so it's like oh, i guess i'm better just using my hands <laughs> yeah. what is one of the most memorable experiences you've had while on your writing journey ah uh, you mean in in actual writing or in life <laughs> in general what when, when my my writing journey is sort of connected to my 
my life journey, my life and my writing. And I guess everything is like a whole to me. It's a one, one thing. It's not so segmented. Um, you know, if I didn't do certain things like travel, for example, I love to travel and that feeds my writing. People feed my writing. And I feel like when my writing is, when I'm able to create, I'm feeding other people, not just with my writing, but also the way I, the way it nurtures me to be able to write. And so I'm able to then, you know, give that to my friends and the people that I love. So, yeah. What did you mean? <laughs> I'm a terrible interviewee. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're fine. That's exactly what I mean. And um, actually, while we're on that note, um, is that in your opinion, like what makes a good story? Is it like the connection with your audience or what, what makes a good story? I never think of my audience at all. I mean, I don't write for anyone. I don't write with the idea, oh, this is a great idea for a bestseller. I think I'll write this and make money. You know, I know people that do this, actually, but I don't do it. I can't do it. It doesn't work for me. I'm not that kind of person. So basically, I'm writing for myself. I write what is interesting to me, and I write from my feelings. I'm very much of a feeling writer more than an intellectual writer. Um, so I'm writing the feelings that drive a story. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes I don't have an idea for a story or I don't have some characters in mind. That happens occasionally. Um, yeah, and and occasionally there's something that comes out of a dream or something I see on the street, a place I visited, anything like that could trigger it. But basically to write the story, I have to just go with the particular flow that comes from me and I put that on the computer and uh, and then that's the, the the process of the the creativity that's the part where it comes out of you or of me in a creative way and then I, of course I have to work on it <laughs> I have to do the the editorial work to sort of um, take what is there and make it understandable in the language that we all share um, and I don't just mean in English because you know things can be translated but in the the way that we all understand the world so that I, I don't have these obscure things that only I understand, you know, and say, ha ha, and the reader, ha ha, you don't know, but I do. That's stupid. So basically I'm trying to write something that is personal and it's from me, some from some part of me. And then I have to craft it into a piece that works for other people as well. I understand that completely, and I actually uh, feel the same way in my writing. Um, I write for myself first and foremost what my interests are, where my passion lies, and actually it, it kind of irritates me when I look at, you know, different conversations on social media about how you need to write what sells, and in my mind, I'm going, okay, what sells, and then when... <laughs> I'm seeing, yeah, and then when I'm seeing these like absurd uh, suggestions, such as like, you know, history books and everything, okay, that's all fine and well for you, but that's not what I write. You know, I'm more the horror fantasy realm, I'm the crime thriller and all of that. That's what I write, you know, and and I feel like that's that's why I come to, it's like, you know, write for you first, write what makes you happy. And then you, you know, you share it with the world. They'll like it or they won't like it. Yeah, I mean, that that's, works for me too. Because, I mean, I, I don't see wasting my life marketing 
it, it's not that I'm not trying to sell work. Of course I am. Of course, everybody that writes wants to sell their work. So other people are reading it because writing is communication. But the idea of you can you can write. I wish somebody would say what would sell. <laughs> Nobody seems to know. People just think they know. And of course, if they're basing it on what they're seeing now in writing, that's already passe. You know that most if it's a if it's not a self-published book, if it's done by a major house, which are the people that are buying, you know, work from you and paying you for it, um, what they they're putting out today was bought two years ago. So it's already over. It's not what they're buying today for two years from now. Um, and even in self-publishing, I mean, it takes time to write a novel. Yes, there are these maniacs that you read about about that can knock out a hundred thousand pages in a week well good luck to them but that's not the average writer and it's certainly not me I can't do that and it's not what I want to do I want to be I want to enjoy the process to me life is important it really is and I want to enjoy the moments that I have in life that that you know not not pushing for this gold ring all the time which isn't to say that you don't want acknowledgement, you don't want people to like your work, but it it can't be the only goal because it doesn't, I don't think it's in the end that fulfilling. It's the key to the executive washroom. You know, you fight and you fight and you fight and you get that key. And then what? Then there's another goal above that and another. For what? To what end? Um, if, if life is not making you, um, giving you the opportunity to make yourself feel good, about what you're doing. I don't understand how you can really um, write something. This is me speaking about me, how I couldn't write something just to have it sell, period. Which isn't to say that I haven't in the past done some work for hire. I've worked in a couple of arenas where it's a preset world. And because it's a preset world, it's not my creation. But within that world, there is a creation. Um, people who, uh, for example, I did two books in the Jason world, Jason the, the serial killer. <laughs> and those two books um, were part of a five book series that was done by um, Black Flame Publishing in connection with New Line Cinema which owns the rights. And so um, they wanted to do some novels based on Jason when Jason went into space in the movie called Jason X. And so they did five novels. So I did two of those five. And that's, you know, that world has a lot of um, uh, limitations because Jason is a pre-established character. But within that pre-established character, you can invent an entire world around that character and who he is and how he is and even why he is if you go that route. So um, yeah, so that there's that. But I mean, that's not full-blown um, creativity where no one is directing you. No one is saying, do this, do that, or it has to be this way or that way. And can you do this within this world? This is your own creation, your own world. How you How you envision this world is coming from you. And that's a whole different way of being. And it's freeing. It's, it's terrifying and it's also freeing. It's terrifying because if you've invented it you, you, and you want to, other people to read it, you have to make it work for other people too. It's not, just, it's not like just taking a dream that's really chaotic and you wake up and you have such a wondrous feeling about that dream and just spilling out that dream the way it happened. Because a lot of times the way a dream happens isn't really 
understandable to anyone else unless they're into dream analysis but that's not most people so um you know you have to be able to hammer it into a shape that is recognizable to your reader so that's that to me is what it's about is to find that lovely creative spark and to run with it you know just run with it because it's so beautiful and it's so um wonderful it just it fills you up it fills me up to do that fills my soul and by doing that um i come up with something and then when i've come up with that something then i have something to work with so yeah that's what it is for me so i don't know about this whole idea of you know write something that sells or write a bestseller or good luck to those people i don't know how it's done i don't wouldn't know what to even write if somebody said write something that sells who knows what sells this is the sort of mystery of publishing anyway you know no no one's ever known exactly and i and i understand that um and actually i feel like in uh in the writing business is cinema entertainment alone, especially also when it comes to, you know, filmmakers, uh, where people say everything up under the sun has already been done. It's like, okay, but remember, we're like decades in, in this, you know, and sometimes I feel like a lot of people won't really look your way if you're not with some big publishing agency. You know, like you have to be associated with a big name for people to look at you. Um, but me, like I am a self-published indie author. Well, that's that's actually the same thing. <laughs> I am an indie <laughs> author. Yeah, I am an indie author. And I choose to take that route because, and I, as I've mentioned previously, I don't really want to sell my idea to some big publishing firm and, you know, on top of them charging me thousands of dollars to get published through them, they still want to make uh, profits off your success. You know, for every book you sell, you get this, you know, type of thing. And then just say, for instance, if your book goes even further than that, which is what I'm trying to do with one of my projects, I'm trying to turn it into a whole franchise, a brand, you know. And you mean to tell me I'm bound, I'm bound to this uh, company, you know. For that, every product or whatever I sell, every movie I sell, they got to make profit off of that on top of, you know, paying thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this going. I don't like the idea of that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not sure who's asking for this money to publish a book. Um, so there's, a, there's certainly a difference between... Um, between publishing companies that, uh, for example, you know, Pocket Books and St. Martin's Press and the big places that are in New York usually, I mean, they're not, you're not having to pay them to publish. They pay you. <laughs> That's the point. Um, but these companies that are, they've cropped up a lot since self-publishing. There's a ton of these companies and they are all charging people to quote, help them write and to get them published. And so they may actually, you know, move to the point of publishing a book for you. Um, and then theoretically doing some marketing. I don't know how much marketing they do. Um, I have no idea. I mean, I would never, I would never pay somebody to publish my book. I mean, that just, I don't even understand the concept. So I think, you know, if that's what you're faced with, 
you should probably, yes, be on your own and do it your way. And also try to get into some of the, um, you know, if you write short fiction, if you do that, that's a good way to try to get yourself into some of the anthologies. There's tons of them that you run across uh, just on Facebook alone. There's always people doing anthologies, um, and you see them listed in different groups and here and there and everywhere. And some of them pay, and some of them pay, you know, a decent amount, and some of them pay a little bit because that's what they can afford. But, you know, they're, they're buying your work for that particular anthology. They're not buying it forever. They buy it for that anthology. You still have the work. You can publish it yourself down the road or you could uh, sell it to somebody else for a second time around or whatever. But I mean, that's kind of the way to go to get your stuff out there. And I think there's an awful, I, I don't, I, I've only had contact with one of these companies. A friend suggested I go to their, whatever you call it, like a webinar or something. And it's like all the webinars that you see on the internet where, you know, somebody says, I've got the cure for diabetes. <laughs> I've got, I know how to make ingrown toenails, stuff, whatever the hell it is. And they kind of go on and on and on. They, they, they have the answer and they're going to give it to you and you have to listen to them for about an hour before you get the answer. That is usually something obvious. So I, I saw one of these companies and I listened to the long spiel, you know, and it was somebody who'd sold hundreds of thousands of books and this is how they did it and blah, blah, blah. And I was kind of curious about this and got to the end. And then it was a pitch to sell the services, of course. Um, and so they wanted to do uh, um, one of the things they were going to do is help you write your uh, your description on Amazon if you do self-published book. Right. So they will help you with the description. So at that time, I wanted to, you know, just check it out. And so I said uh, to the guy, well, look, you know, I'm a writer. I've been around the block quite a long time and I have a description up there. And this is from a publisher who publishes my um, Crossroad Press does my uh, new current series, my vampire series called Thrones of Blood. So I had the first book up at the time where the publisher put it up and uh, they had the ebook and the print book and the hardcover book and all that up there. And I had a description that I wrote because they always ask the author to write the description since we know our work best. So I put this description up with it. And, uh, and so I said to guy, you know, I've got this and da, 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 you know, and I said, well, you know, I'm not really willing to pay this money to have somebody read something that I've written, which is probably okay. So he said, um, you know what I'm going to do for you? This is the sort of pitch, right? I'm going to read it for you for free. <laughs> so he's going to read it for me, and he's going to give me some pointers. And uh, so I said, oh, well, that's really nice of you. You know, we, I wasn't verbalizing everything that was in my mind, you understand. I was just listening a lot to this. And so he's going to read it for free, and he'll get back to me. But he's really busy, really super busy. You know, he had all this stuff to do. Da, 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 you know, and he'd get back to me next Monday. And then Monday came and went, and the assistant gets in touch with me. He says, oh, so-and-so is really busy. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody else is busy in the world, right? Just him. So anyway, he'll get touched. You know, da, da, da. Anyway, so he finally went to the um, the listing on Amazon and he read the blurb, which I had written, or the or the description, I should say, that I had written. And uh, so he got back to me and he said he thought it was really good. <laughs> and, uh, uh, he said uh, the only suggestion he could make is to put things in point form, you know, with little bullets, boom, 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 you know, which is the style nowadays. I get it. I don't care about style, but, you know, you see that a lot, especially on self-published books, people are going bullet crazy. So, um, yeah, so that's, and, and I would have paid for that if I had been interested in paying for that, which I wasn't, but I think it was something like, 
to buy that particular service was about uh, somewhere just under a hundred bucks. Uh, but that was a very simple service because there were other things that were attached to it so that you could go on and on and you'd end up spending thousands. I could see that right away. But I think there's a lot of that. And I'm not saying it's all scam because I met a man at a, a you don't mind if I continue on, do you for a minute here? I know you probably have other questions. Can I just continue for a minute? Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> Well, I met this guy at a world fantasy convention and uh, we sat, we ended up sitting at a table together and, uh, you know, how are you, who are you and all this stuff. And so he said he was a writer and I said, what do you write? And he writes fantasy. And I said, oh, and so he pulled out some, you know, promo material and handed it to me and he had about 10 books. And I said, oh, who's your publisher? And he says he's self-published. And I said, oh, you self-published all of these books yourself? How, how is it? How are you doing with it? So he had like 10 books done. And uh, he ended up telling me that he spent, at that point, that was a world fantasy that was probably 10 years ago, he spent $10,000 per book <laughs> to get these books in print. And so the company that he was with, whatever it was, they read the manuscript, they presumably at least proofread it, if not edited, but who knows what they did. They had the cover, they had everything, they put it together, they put it up so he didn't, wouldn't have to self-publish it. And so he spent it for 10 books, $100,000. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, okay, that's a lot of money. And, um, you know, I kind of asked delicately how they're doing. And I think he said, you know, people always say, oh, oh, they're doing really well, you know, and I don't know what really well means. But um, and then he sort of made a comment that it was something like, well, it's getting better kind of thing as it goes, getting better, like in a way that's told me that sales probably hadn't been so good because, of course, he was totally unknown. And, and now he's got 10 books and maybe he's got a bit of a following and he's done some ads. Who knows? But it's um, there's a world like that out there now. It's like as soon as self-publishing happened, thanks to Amazon, which is a blessing and a curse, uh, as soon as that happened, all of these people came out of the woodwork with these companies and I have, you know, gotten ads from many of them and they want to do this and they want to do that. And I know a number of people that have just blown a lot of money on these things that don't really take them anywhere. And I'm sure the company would say, well, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it properly the way we told you to do it or whatever. But I don't really think that you can just force being in forced sales you can you can do your best to make your sales happen but you can't force anything there's no forcing in this business <laughs> there's just a lot of hard sweat and work and and there's also a lot of luck involved being in the right place at the right time with the right thing and that is not something that anybody can predict so that's my take on it so I would encourage you to write some short stories and take them to some of the, the presses that you run into. Um, I, I run, get messages all the time about them. So, uh, you know, they're out there on the Internet. and get Try to get yourself published in this way, too, not just doing it yourself, because then it builds you up as sort of a known entity in different ways. There are people that actually still buy books. <laughs> they buy anthologies and they would buy these and uh, they would see your name and your story and you'd start to get a reputation. Yes, and I must have been looking in the wrong places because whenever I Google, uh, you know, publishing companies, it came up with these companies that have packages going anywhere from, uh, you know, $500 upwards, thousands of dollars. And I'm like, wow, that's expensive. And then, you know, just looking around at different conversations on social media, 
there's this whole thing where, you know, say if you actually did sign to a publishing company and you think that'd be the end of it, I'm done with it now. Overnight, I'm going to be this, you know, well-known, best-selling author, which doesn't happen. And I've actually found out that even publishing, even though they're supposed to market your book, they don't like you still have to do all that heavy lifting yourself so i'm thinking yes. myself like so this is what i paid thousands of dollars for <laughs> for me to still do the work yeah <laughs> <That's> wow <right. laughs> well <clears throat> i know you mentioned before that the little witch you know uh enticed you and everything but I noticed there's a lot of, uh, you travel the vampire theme a lot. And I, I just want to know, what has you so uh, captivated in the vampire realm? Well, you know, I think it goes back again to childhood because um, back in the day, <laughs> I guess there still is, you know, the Saturday Night Horror movie on somewhere in the world. And back then it was a big deal, you know, and I was too young at points to be able to watch it, but occasionally I could watch it. Just something happened where somebody let me watch it. My favorites were the vampires. <laughs> I always liked the vampire better than the, the werewolf and, you know, the mummy and all of that. The, the vampire was really special because the vampire looked like us, acted like us, talked like us, could move around in society. And I thought that was such a cool idea, this, this creature that, uh, can trick us basically and also the, I liked a lot of the things about the vampire um, having these powers that have been bequeathed upon him or her and they usually are things like extra strength of course they live a long time they might live eternally um, they can hypnotize people uh, they're, they're, there's limitations of course there's the garlic and the crosses and the mirrors and all that but current writers they usually adapt those things and try to bring the vampire more into the present so that they don't have those limitations or so many. So I like this idea of it. And then the old movies that happened, you know, you'd get these wonderful battles between usually say in, in uh, the Christopher Lee version, you get this battle between Christopher Lee as Dracula and uh, Peter Cushing as Van Helsing in the end. So it was like this real battle. It was really fun. And also, uh, you know, the idea that the vampire is so, wily and strong and can in is is it kind of invincible there's a new series out on the bbc i don't know if you've seen it but it's called dracula and uh it's it's uh yeah the the um the vampire in that series is kind of based on the book or it's based on the scenes that are not shown in the book like the um uh the part where jonathan harker uh does escape dracula's castle and then he's been in a, like a uh, convalescing somewhere in a religious order but that's not written about in the book that's what they took that scene and started to expand it and also uh when dracula comes to um to england he's coming uh on this ship and uh you don't see anything really that's happening on the ship all you know is this ship has arrived in the harbor and everyone's dead including the captain and there's a bunch of boxes of of blood of, uh, of dirt and that's all you know so you don't know what happened on the ship so they took that and they made that into a one of the three parts of the series so it's kind of like that and uh, that Dracula in that series is quite good in the sense that he really has lived lifetimes and he really is in, seems to be invincible. It doesn't seem to be anything that's going to bring him down, which is what I love about writing the vampire because I'm always trying to write that type of vampire. I really 
I, I don't want to use the word despise. That's too heavy duty. But I've read it. I've got a, a collection of vampire books I've collected for many decades. I've got about at least 2,500 books. And I stopped collecting about 10 years ago. So that <laughs> tells you what was written before. And, you know, I've read, there's there's like a handful of wondrous books, the, the top, you know, 10%, let's say. And then there's the bottom 10%, which is the really vile things that, if I wasn't a collector, I would throw it across the room. But, you know, I don't. And then everything else is in the middle. You know, it's kind of mediocre. But what I like are the books that, that make the vampire difficult for human beings. You know, not just difficult in the sense of avoiding, but trying to fight this creature and not being able to because he's got, he or she has so many abilities and power, the power of many lifetimes, the knowledge and awareness of lifetimes, the having seen it all, having seen everybody, every type of person, how people are. It's almost like a psychological understanding of the human race these creatures have. And so they get to some point where it's pretty hard to get them down. You know, you can't, you can't fight them easily. And that's one of the things I liked about that series. And I like about a lot of vampires where it's, it's hard to, it's hard to battle them. It's hard to win. You know, they are the supreme predator. We are the prey. And so essentially we're having to fight to survive, but they also are trying to fight to survive. So yeah, <laughs> So that all intrigues me about the vampire. I, I don't know if they're, what the psychological, my psychological bent, you know, is. I suppose I could, you know, manufacture something or go back into my childhood, which I have done, of course. But I, the vampire just strikes me of all the monsters as being the one that is so, um, it can just, you know, bedazzle us easily and can really trick us uh, because, you know, it... If you've got like a mummy or you've got a, a werewolf in front of you, there's nothing to think about. You know, it's just automatically the enemy, um, you know, uh, some kind of creature that comes from under a bridge, whatever. But when you've got a vampire, they look like us. You know, you could meet them in the supermarket. You could be sitting at a restaurant with a vampire at the next table. You could be walking down the street. Any, They could be anywhere. They could be anything, especially today because we've modernized them so that they do fit more into society now and they're not really allergic to garlic so much or they can avoid it easily and they don't, um, you know, the mirror thing is not an issue anymore. Uh, writers have had to deal with that. Even, uh, you know, in sunlight, of course, in Dracula, Dracula the book, um, the vampire does walk in sunlight a little bit. Uh, he's out in England and in, in London in the, in the daylight, at least, if not sunlight. Uh, so that's got, you know, a precedent there. Um, and so now the vampire can be anywhere, anytime, and mirrors aren't a problem, although a friend of mine, Elaine uh, Pascal, she wondered if they could take selfies, maybe they can, who knows, um, <laughs> but may have, do they have a reflection? It depends what the writer wants to make of the vampire. You create your own version, and then you stick to that version, and you make it plausible for the reader, so I think, you know, that it's a, it's a really... Um, malleable creature and it's also a uh it's got so many directions it can go in you can do anything with the vampire as we've all seen we've seen all kinds of things come and go including twilight um so you know there's there's many many extremes with a vampire that can be dealt into and it's a lot of fun to work with 
you must have read my mind there because I was actually going to ask you uh, w what are your feelings on the uh, evolution of uh, vampires throughout the years and I was going to mention Twilight because as you're aware not too many people um, are satisfied with Twilight you know just because of the um, the path that it goes down and you know with the sparkling vampire and sunlight versus them burning it to flames like we're used to so I <laughs> so you must have read my mind there <laughs> Well, I don't see the I don't see Twilight as a bad thing. I mean, to me, because I've read so bloody much in this this subgenre, if you will, um, I just see it as an an arm, a branch of the vampire. The vampire has many branches, uh, and there are all kinds of vampires out there. It's not just blood drinkers, and it's not just what we envision someone in a cape. You know, it's not like that. There's a whole range of types of vampires. So I see Twilight as just a a branch of you know this big tree and uh it's one part of it that's all uh, you know i think people get they get a little upset because it's it becomes so big like things that are really become popular in the this status quo and general population they um they take on a huge they take a lot of space you know there are a lot of books there were a lot of movies there's a lot of merchandise all this stuff, you know, and then the, the news around it comes in, you know, all the entertainment news. So it takes up a lot of space. And I think people, you know, partly react to that. And if it's not perfect within their, their vision of the vampire, but they also, you know, if it goes too far away from what they envision a vampire is like, they get upset. It doesn't bother me because I've seen too much <laughs> that way. But, uh, yeah, it just was what it was. And I, I saw... Um, all of the uh, the films, and I've read some of the books, and uh, yeah, I didn't buy any of the merchandise, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's I went with my um, one of my ex boyfriends to see one of the movies. He was visiting me in Montreal, and we were looking for a film, and he said, "Well, why don't we go to this Twilight thing? I've never seen any of these." And I think it was the fourth movie or the third i can't remember where this happened so we went i figured he wasn't going to love it but you know we went anyway and um and so he sat there he was very quiet during the movie <laughs> very quiet and when it you know when it was over and the credits were rolling i turned to him and i said well what do you think and he said well it's all about shoes and dresses <laughs> this was the wedding one where she's getting dressed for the it took a long time she's you know picking out things to dress for her wedding right and he was startled by this he didn't quite get it but yeah uh so there you go <laughs> yeah that is a actually a great perspective to have and actually um it put things into perspective when, you know, you as a writer yourself, you're creating your own works or even if you're into cinema or what, what have you, just the creative arts and how you put your own spin onto things. And like one thing I like to experiment with a lot is I like to with crossbreeds. So like the human crossbreeding over with some creature, whether it be uh, part werewolf, part vampire, just part any kind of monster. I just like to experiment with those crossbreeds a lot. So that actually does put things into perspective as far as using your own creativity to merge the story um, that's actually kind of merging from this well-traveled road. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the crossbreeding is great. I do that in my series too because, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to what what and it's not a new thing, of course. To, you know, there's been books written in the past about this. One of my favorites was called Dracu Twig. <laughs> twig off the old branch. Uh, anyway, yeah, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of crossbreeding in this in, with with any kind of creature. I think it it sort of parallels society in a way that we're just showing that in a way we're all, you know it's we're all just human beings here, and it's not this kind of seg segmented world or there's segregation that was there of people there's no well of course we're in a state now where we've got a coronavirus so everybody's panicking but ultimately you know it really is human beings and they have always lived together they've always intermingled and they've always copulated and then this is how we all can trace our roots back to the neanderthals because we all come from the same place so i think this is more aware there's more awareness of this in the last maybe 20 years which is why the idea of connecting two things that probably normally wouldn't go together in most people's minds is fine now so um because what do you get when you trend when you've got this combination of, of opposites is what it is and so in this case we're talking monster and human you get this combination what do you get out of this is it going to be a monster? Is it going to be a human? Or is it going to be something unto itself? It's probably something unto itself because like everything else, this is evolution. I definitely agree with you there. Well, Nancy, you have been a busy woman with your works in addition to, you know, we mentioned before your many books and hundreds of short stories out there. You also have some new releases out as well as some upcoming works. Uh, can you please elaborate on all these projects um well i'll start with the two self-published i did they're the only two and they're basically um novellas they're long short stories and i wanted to check out self-publishing that's why i did it uh, i was curious how it would work uh so i did the um ebooks for two books one is called wild hunt and the other one is vampire theater so they're obviously of a set about, about vampires. And uh, and then a publisher, a small publisher uh, that I know that I published one book with in the past has published the print books, and that's Baskerville Books. And they did the print books of those too. So that was kind of fun. And I, I like doing those stories because they were previously published, but not recently. And I wanted to pull them out of, you know, and, and dust them off and put them out again because... Uh, I, both of them got very good, good reviews in the past, and people really liked them. And I thought, well, they, these are standalones, and they're part of like a modern vampire presentation. So I put those out for that reason. So people that read them like them. <laughs> um, it's different doing it on your own, you know, as you know, um, because it, when you have a publisher, it, it helps. You know, you don't have to do all the, the tech stuff and all that, which I absolutely hate, which is probably why I'll never do another self-published book, because I don't want to do that stuff. It's too much energy and time. So there's that. And then I've got the vampire series, Thrones of Blood which is going to be a six book series right now book five is out um uh, just coming out as a print book it was out as an ebook just for the last two months or something so um basically those five are out and then the last book in the series will be out it was supposed to be 2020 but it's looking more like 2021 now because of other things so um and that series by the way was just optioned for film and television so um we'll see what happens with that 
And uh, let's see what else. Oh, yeah, I'm working on a, a, a novel that's just about finished. It's a cross between science fiction and horror. So it's a little bit like, it's not the story of Alien, the movie. It's not anything like Alien. But, you know, Alien can be seen as science fiction or it can be seen as horror, depending on who's viewing it. So it's that type of um, blend of two, two types of fiction. So that book is almost done. Um, so uh, there's that. What else is there? I've got a few other things. I, I, it's, I'm so busy. <laughs> I know everybody's busy. I'm, re I'm just really crazily busy because I'm, I'm going to uh, StokerCon in April, which is in the UK. So I've decided to do an extended trip since I'm going all the way over there. Um, and that, um, that's going to be a chunk of time out of my life. So I've got to do a whole pile of things before I actually go there. Um, and a lot of it has to do with writing, like the book that I need to finish and I have to start the final book in the series and so on. So yeah, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing these days. Wow, that's also exciting. And also you recently uh, published a new story called Woodworker. And um, I haven't read all of your work yet. I'm working my way around there. But of course, um, it's it's a little different um, than the ones I was currently reading. So uh, tell, tell us about Woodworker. Well, Woodworker was actually published years ago in a story or in an anthology called Desire Burn that was edited by uh, Janet Berliner. Who she's, yeah, anyway, she's gone now, but uh, she did this anthology and uh, it's a story that's kind of a weird story because it's, about a woman who has learned how to work with wood from her grandmother who learned from her grandmother. So it's a generational thing that's been handed down um, through this family. And so she happens to now be in, uh, in the Far East living there temporarily with her husband who is uh, someone who um, uh, investigates uh, how certain insects specific insects live and how they what they do and you know as a kind of a, a scientist in that realm and so uh she's there in this place it's very very hot it's the temperature um is really overwhelming to the point where people don't they don't go out in the day they basically try to sleep in the day and the night is the cool time so they're up at night so he goes out to look at the insects and study them while she goes into the basement and she's making something out of wood which is what you don't know until you read the story so uh that is a kind of a quirky story um yeah thank you i i enjoyed that story as well um yeah and i was just actually kind of curious um now being it is women in horror month let me ask, what does Women in Horror Month mean to you? Uh, it means that this is a, a lopsided world, and we shouldn't have to have a horror month. Just like February is also Valentine's Day, and February is also Black History Month. So all those things, you know, we can keep Valentine's Day, but the rest of it we shouldn't have to have. But we do have to have, because it's, not a, it's a strange world we live in. So when it comes to women in horror specifically, there are a lot of women that write horror, but there's not many women who can break that glass ceiling. And, in, you know, if you ask anybody on the street, 
well, or not anybody, but anybody who reads in the horror realm, you know, who reads, no, I'm not talking about writers, I'm talking about ordinary people who buy and read books, those people. If you ask them to name two or three men who write horror, they could. They'd start with Stephen King, of course, um, and then there's other people. They might mention Clive Barker, they might mention Neil Gaiman, they might mention Robert McCammon, and, you know, there's a bunch of them, you know, they're all sort of really bestseller, top-launch top writers. Um, but then if you said... Well, what about women? Can you name a couple of women that write hard? <laughs> they, they'd be, probably be hard-pressed. And after a lot of thought, they might say, well, what about Anne Rice, that woman who writes the vampires? You know, they'd say that. That's what they'd say. But there, it's not on the tip of anybody's tongue, women who write horror, except, you know, for other writers. We all know each other, but that's another story. It's unfortunate that women have such a difficult time. Once in a while... I, I have not heard this myself, but I've heard people, I've heard women say uh, that there are men in the in the horror field who say that women can't write horror. I don't even know what that means, um, but you know, there that's not been my experience. I haven't heard that. I've worked with a lot of male editors, so I haven't had that experience where somebody said, "Well, you can't write horror." Um, there's all kinds of horror anyway. There's all ranges of it you know it can be quite visceral it can be um very psychological it can be soft heart there's all the big range of what the word horror means so uh, but it's somehow women just never quite get to the uh known level that men have gotten to and i've noticed a lot on facebook for example because i know so many people that are writers and we're all friends and you know you I read the news feed a little bit every day I try to read a little bit of it and uh, there's always um, always people that are getting these uh, large publishers and multiple book deals and or have their books being made into film there's a number of them and they're usually men and it's not to say that there aren't some women who've had their film films their their books optioned i have beth massey has lucy taylor has there's a bunch of women it's not on the same level somehow you know it just doesn't uh it's not this big change this big direction um and i i don't know why that is i mean there's lots of women who if you look in the on facebook there's a group called the women in horror group and they profile a lot of uh women that are in film you know that uh, are actresses and women who are directors and so on there's a lot of them and of course writers um lots of women write lots of women so i don't know what it is i don't know why there's kind of a a lack of movement when you get to a certain point i don't think this is different than anything else you can pick any corporation yeah you'll find some women who are the president or some woman two or three women who are in managerial positions near the top or something but that that's that's a small number compared to the number of men who are driving industries and driving this business of writing so i don't know i think that women would like to be heard they're writing they're they're doing the work and they should be heard. And I think, I've always said this, that if a woman can read a story that's written by a man and relate to it, why in the world can't a man read a story by a woman and relate to it? And, you know, it's just like, come on, we're all human beings here. And if it's something that's felt, if it's something that's experienced, if it's some reaction, then anybody should be able to relate, relate to any of that. 
it doesn't mean you love that particular story, but it just means that there shouldn't be these biases. You know, be open. There are some amazing women writers that have written what I suppose would be called um, softer horror. Uh, for for example, Shirley Jackson. I mean, Shirley Jackson wrote, I guess some people would call her a fantasy writer, but certainly it's very dark fantasy. And, uh, you know, she's written some amazing stuff. One of her wonderful stories is The Lottery, which everybody probably has read in high school because it used to be a, you know, a staple. And it's about... Um, people that are in a village and they have this ritual that they perform every year and uh, nobody really questions it but it's a choice and people are selected for the for the ritual and people don't want to be selected or they get upset if they're selected or they get upset if someone in their family is selected and it's a real horror and why why is this well you find out at the end why because that's sacrificed this person sacrificed so I mean that's a pretty powerful story and uh you know, I think um, I think it was uh, Neil Gaiman wrote, maybe it was Clive Barker, God, I can't remember. No, Clive Barker wrote, I think it was in Books of Blood. He wrote a story similar to that of uh, two guys who were traveling around the British countryside, and there's, a, there's this, um, it, suddenly they find these, like, pylons that are created by human beings. It, it's a similar type of story, um, and yet... You know, this is this is like a theme. Oh, by the way, when you said earlier something about every plot has been done, yes, it all has been done. And somebody went through Shakespeare once and deduced that there were 30, 33 plots, 34 plots in existence, and uh, uh, that they'd all been represented in Shakespeare's work. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, there's there's this plot and that plot, you know, and the, the, you can see them all. It's not the plot itself. It's all been done. There's only so much in the world. But how we do it is what makes it unique that you do it your way i do it my way everybody does it their way so you know that's why you get stories that are so not that this, the plot is unfamiliar but that the the story itself is so wondrous it just it captivates and and hangs on to you you know so yeah anyway so women in horror there are women writers i think people should be buying their books um not in not because they have to buy them or because they feel sorry for women or any of that stuff because there's a lot of good stuff out there to read and they're depriving themselves of not having this opportunity so we have a month where we you know yell and scream in our way and get attention for women and hopefully um, women will you know progress a little bit more further every year and get you know more sales and have have the option of having a career and getting their work out there and having people read it and enjoy it and you know, being part of this this realm that it's a difficult world publishing. It always has been difficult. It always will be. But now it's even more difficult, I think, and for a lot of reasons. But women are trying, and I think it's really good that women can help each other in this world, in this month particularly, where they can be profiled and each other and, you know, show people there's a lot out there, you know, you, you just got to have a look at it because some of it is really, really good. Yes, and I and that is a great perspective to, to have and that's how um, I look forward to uh, with my own works and everything. Um, what advice or words of inspiration do you have for aspiring writers? I always say the same thing whenever I'm asked in an interview or whenever I write something, you know, it's always the same. I always have gone to the I Ching 
or the I Ching, some people say, which is the ancient Chinese book of changes. And uh, you probably know it. Most people have run across it, or I guess they used to anyway. It used to be done with sticks, but you can also do it with coins. And so there is a hexagram. There's six, six lines, and they, can, they form all kinds of combinations. And depending on the combination, you can look it up in the book. And then when you look it up, you're basically getting some information about, it's, a, it's almost like a mystical connection to you threw the coins in this way, they created these lines, and so this is for you to read and ponder over. <laughs> uh, so in the I Ching, there is a phrase that comes up frequently, which I like a lot, because I think it, it is the thing, that I, a thread in my life that has always been there. And that little phrase is perseverance furthers. And if you persevere something will happen. If you don't persevere, nothing will happen. But if you persevere with what you want, and that's writing, and that's selling your writing, getting your writing out there into people's hands, being creative, living that life, if you persevere, it doesn't say it'll be easy, it says it furthers. It furthers things, it moves things along. Thank you so much. That is a very touching um, quote right there. Uh, well, Nancy, can you please provide your contact information, website, social media platforms where we can follow you and tune in to your works? Um, well, I probably don't remember all those URLs, but I'm on Facebook, uh, Nancy Kilpatrick. You'll be able to find me. Um, and I'm on Instagram, I guess under my same name. <laughs> Twitter the same. Um, I have a blog, which I do usually once a month. Um, I have a newsletter. If you want to go to my website, you can get on my newsletter. So it's nancykilpatrick.com is my website, and you can see a bunch of my books there. And up at the top on the right, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is just your name and your email address. And then you'll get an email saying, do you really want to do this? And then if you say yes, you'll get the newsletter. So <laughs> that's, that's it. I'm pretty well everywhere, so... Yeah, I'm easily found. Thank you so much. Again, this is Everything Horror Podcast. I am your host, Stacey Cox, and we were joined by Nancy Kilpatrick. Make sure you check her out. Check out all of her works. Follow her to stay up to date. And Nancy, thank you again for taking this time to meet with me. It is a pleasure. Thank you so much, Stacy. It was uh, Stacy. <laughs> I'm trying to put your names together. Stacy. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a lot of fun for me. And uh, it was really kind of you to do this. Yeah. And everyone, have a great night. And until next time, stay scary. <laughs>